0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, So great to be with you today as we continue our series on the values of Cove Church. We're going over the five values of Cove Church. So this is our second installment in that, which leads us to our second value. And I'll start off right with that. It's uh, value number two, relationships. And this is what it says. We believe that genuine love and caring relationships are the key to the life of any endeavor. Now, hopefully this value doesn't come as a surprise to you today. I think at a most basic level, we all see the value, the importance of healthy relationships. We've also experienced the devastation caused by unhealthy relationships. I've seen good relationships in my life open amazing doors, doors of of friendship and doors of partnership and doors of support. Not to mention things like getting into the movies free, or getting to fish on someone's private property that no one else can go, or getting access to things not available to the general public. There's just so many blessings to healthy relationships, but we've also seen how broken relationships or non-existent relationships actually closes doors, actually causes damage to us, right? Many of us carry the wounds of broken relationships, and we even carry the experiences of the closed doors caused by non-existent relationships. You know, that for whatever reason in that circumstance, it was like others can pass, but no, not you. You're not getting in here. This is VIP only. This is a private party and you're not coming in here because you don't have the relationship. Facebook even has a place to declare your relationship status, right? Pretty important. Now, but here's the actual options on Facebook, by the way. You can list single, in a relationship, engaged, married, it's complicated, in an open relationship, widowed, separated, divorced, in a civil union, and in a domestic partnership, or you can leave it blank. But it reaffirms that relationships matter to us. Inherently, we understand that it's all about relationships. You'll hear that phrase in insurance circles, (laughs) you'll hear it in retail circles, you will hear it in church circles, you'll hear it in Wall Street circles, you will hear it in political circles. But what may surprise you is that concept first came from Jesus. (laughs) We see it when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's saying it's all about relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. And all the other commandments are there because they affect the quality of our relationships. They hang on this idea of relationship with God and relationship with each other. I mean, just think of the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Old Testament, right? Now, there's certainly lots of other commands and laws and prophecies tied to the Old Testament, but those Ten Commandments are kind of familiar to some of us, so it's an easy place to start. Just think about how they interact with us on a relational level. Committing adultery is a problem relationally because it really harms your relationship with your spouse. Idolatry is a problem relationally because it harms our relationship with the God of the universe. Murder is a problem relationally. Why? Because it, it dramatically affects our ability to have relationship with that person that we just killed. It all points to relationship. So what this value reminds us of is this, when God invites us to relationship with him, he also invites us to relationship with each other. Because kingdom life is not lived in isolation. It's lived in community. I can't love my neighbor if I don't have a neighbor. I can't love someone that I have no connection to. Remember, our relationship with God is supposed to be personal, but never private. God wants us to be a part of a family, to desire both the support and the accountability that comes with that family. I can think of times here at the church People who have said things to me like, you know, for most of my life, I've just been a loner. I I haven't wanted to be around people, but I had to go to the hospital and this church family supported me. And in that support and that connection, it's like it changed everything in my life. We've had other people tell us that I remember a man who, who was falsely accused, falsely put in jail, and he found his help and his support here in this place. This is real life. And sure, I get it, it is a bit messy (laughs) because we bruise each other sometimes. We don't want to, but we do. We're real people facing real challenges, but that is all the more reason to refuse to do this thing called life alone. You know, I guess it was um, three or four years ago that we moved into the house that we live in now. And I remember just being so amazed and so grateful for the community that God has put around us, the friends that God has put around us, it started with just being amidst the buying and selling process. We have friends that are, were the realtors in that. And in those days, as it is today, but the market was really intense, but a lot of offers were falling through in those days. So I remember going to, through a few offers that, that didn't make it. They fell through, and I started to think, man, maybe, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe the house isn't going to sell right. Maybe it's not going to work out, wondering if we were actually going to move. And I remember then getting a call from our realtor who said, I just want you to know we're under contract, we've closed on this deal, and that was the deal that ended up being the one that actually went through. But it was while I was on the phone, listening to this phone call, hearing that we're under contract, that I get a knock on on our door. And I open the door, and it's, it's a new neighbor into the neighborhood. And they had just moved in, and they've got all these moving boxes. <laughs> and so while I'm on the phone thinking, is this really going to work out? Are we going to move? This person says, we have all these moving boxes. They're free for you if you want them. I'm like, well, I guess we're moving. Okay. So it was so obvious, and that was the deal that went through. And those were the boxes we used. We never had to buy a box. And then from the process moving forward of loading up the moving van and, and, and getting that all done, the, the amazing help we had, and then to painting the new house and getting it all ready, we had community and support in all of those things. All along the way, we were blessed with community. And, and I remember just feeling so grateful and so humbled. And, and we continue to experience that kind of life in in so many different ways. And I find myself thinking, why would anyone choose to live this life without that, without community? But then I realize the answer is probably obvious. We get hurt, don't we? Hmm. See, as beautiful and powerful as the community of faith can be, let's be honest, We've all seen it be ugly and cruel. We have. You know, through this last season with COVID and all the cultural challenges and societal challenges, do you know that the meanest and most caustic communication that I received was not from bitter atheists. I had communication with folks like that. It was not from upset agnostics. I had communication with folks like that as well. You know, the harshest words that I received came from Christians. And so when someone tells me, you know, I I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church, I get it. And, And I can agree with that in so many ways because I realize that is what has to change because this whole thing is about relationships. And guess what, we have a lot of caustic relationships out there coming out from the big C church as a whole. The big C church has not measured up to God's ideal when it comes to relationships. It's like, here's an example, we, we ordered for our backyard. A dwarf banana palm. Here's the picture of what we ordered from Amazon. That is a dwarf banana palm, a beautiful little plant. It's going to be great in our backyard. Uh, it has a specific purpose, so we're excited for the dwarf banana palm. That's what we ordered. That was the ideal. That was what we signed up for. That was what we paid for. That was what we waited for. It was delayed in its delivery, but finally it arrived. And here's a picture of what we got. Let's look at them side by side, shall we? All right, there it is. There's the one we wanted. Here's the one we got. Guess what? That is the dynamic of relationships in a fallen world. Here's what I wanted, but here's what I got. Yet, that doesn't mean we refuse to believe in that ideal, that God still wants us to experience the real thing, the promise of real relationship, of healthy relationship. And it is then up to us to allow God to grow and change us into that possibility. See, I still believe that that little little plant can grow into the real thing, but it must grow to do that and so must we when it comes to relationships. If relationships matter most to God, with Him and with each other, then as God's church, we've got to do better. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing I would point out is this. We are called to share life. We're going to look in the book of Acts chapter 2, a great picture of that first community of faith that begins to emerge after Jesus' death and resurrection. So here we are in Acts chapter 2, starting verse 45 is a picture of that community. Let's read it. Big voices right where you are, go. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So, Here we see two essential components that mark the lives of those who followed Christ in that early church. Here's the two components, vulnerability and generosity. Vulnerability and generosity. They were together, first off. That's vulnerable, right? It's vulnerable to be together. It's one thing to take a picture at a distance— But close up, that's a whole nother thing. You get close up, you're going to like see my pores, and you're going to see nostril hair, and bags under my eyes, and crow's feet, and gray hair. Every foot closer adds about five years. That's why this camera is currently placed 80 feet away. Just want to make sure you're not too close. Because I'm not comfortable with close. (laughs) We don't want that. I don't think many of us are very comfortable with close. We like to manage our image, don't we? We only post the pics where we look good, you know? Where the the lighting was right and the angle was right and we get the right filter on it. You know, all all the apps we use to make me look skinny and young and smart, if possible, because we don't want them to see what I really look like. See, here's the problem. Our world punishes authenticity, yet Jesus calls us to it. This is why this idea of life groups or being in small groups and connections are so important because we have to move past this idea of image, this idea of life at a distance because life at a distance, it's not real. We only live out real life when we're really together. Too often, I I think in churches, we kind of theorize about what people might need instead of getting close enough to one another that the need becomes obvious. Whether that need is spiritual or emotional or physical, we only know that need when we're close enough to see the flaws, when we're close enough to see the problems. See, that's, that's what real relationship is like because it's in that real togetherness that we actually can then address real needs. I've seen this happen so many times when it comes to people in, in community when it's acting healthy and in, in life giving community, like in small groups, they'll be in a small group and, and someone in the group will, will get vulnerable. They'll, they'll say something perhaps like, you know, it's been a tough week. Um, my transmission went out in my car. I'm not sure how I'm gonna make it to work and I really don't have the resources to get the transmission fixed. And I've seen the response of that, that community that, that gather, gathered around them in that moment, that small group, and they're like, okay, let's help. We're, we're going we're to give you a ride. This person can give you a ride to work. We're going to get your car into the shop, and we're all going to chip in to get your transmission fixed. I've seen that happen so many times. Those types of things happen because of genuine community. See, here's the amazing connection. Our vulnerability creates space for others' generosity. This can involve finances, but it can also involve emotional support, spiritual support, prayer. All part of our generosity in response to another's vulnerability. That's how the church, this community, is supposed to work. That's the ideal. That's what this passage shows us that in real community, I have this chance to not only know about a need, but to actually address it. It's where the struggle is real, but so is our hope. Because it's in that vulnerability of community that we can actually become the answers to each other's prayers. We're called to share life. That's the first thing, here's the second thing. We're called to bring light, called to bring light. Continue the passage, Acts 2, starting verse 46. Let's read it, big voices, go. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Look at this, it was was light to those inside, but it also, it was light to those outside praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. See, as we invest in a meaningful, purposeful, God-centered relationship with other people, whether it be through small groups or, or through coffee talks or connections through sports or in classes, what, what happens is we experience God's light for ourselves in those groups, but there's also this amazing side effect. That this town that I'm in starts to see God's light. That all people start to see that light. From from the suit and tie person to the tie-dye t-shirt person, from the sports fanatic to the the symphony addict, from the the cat people to the, the normal people. You know what I mean. Everybody says they enjoyed the favor of all The people, I looked up the Greek word for all, you know what it means? It means all, everybody. The town they lived in experienced what I call the collateral favor of God. And this collateral favor affects all the people, including those who do not yet call themselves Christ followers. But here's the problem. I think we want to take that and, And we want to make it an or. Praising God or enjoying favor with all the people. I mean, I can't be a fully committed Christ follower and have the favor of all the people. Well, they did. (laughs) Yeah, but, but our world, it's so flawed, so sinful, so corrupt. Yeah, so was theirs. Yeah, but our world doesn't share our our view of morality and ethics. Yeah, well, neither did theirs. But our world is in a post-Christian paradigm. They don't even know about Jesus. Well, guess what? They didn't know about Jesus back then either because Jesus was not old information. He was brand new. This was a pre-Christian environment. Jesus was a brand new person to them. They didn't know about Jesus either. And yet they found favor in that church community, not just within the church, not just in the beltway of evangelicalism, they had favor with the town. Now, don't misunderstand me. There will always be people that hate Christians and there will always be a real enemy that doesn't want us to win. Jesus told us that if they hate me, They're gonna hate you. (laughs) Good news, there you go. I'm sure that's encouraging today, but that's what he told us. If they hate me, they're gonna hate you. It's not all gonna be roses. So yes, there are going to be those who do not love us simply because we love Jesus, but we must never allow that to absolve us in our responsibility to seek the favor of our community to find and work towards inroads of friendships always. Luke two fifty two. it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had favor with both. The church then needs favor with both. It seems that we're invited even compelled, to grow in favor with those around us. Reminds me, um, a few years ago, we were, I was down at some meetings in L.A., and actually, my oldest son Ethan was with me a part of those meetings. And a group of us, Ethan and there was five or six of us, we we had a break in the afternoon, and we're down in LA. And so we decided we'll go to Downtown Disney. We knew we didn't have enough time to make buying, you know, expensive Disneyland tickets. We didn't, There wasn't time to do that. We just had a couple hours, but we still wanted to be near Disneyland. You know, we were that close. Let's at least get close to it. So we went to Downtown Disney, which is outside of Disneyland. And we're in downtown Disney, and we just decided, well, let's just, let's just go through security, you know, just kind of get in front of the gate, just, you know, just because we're here. And so we, we went through security, and we're standing in front of the gates of Disneyland, like five or six of us, and we're just standing there, kind of, you know, longingly looking beyond the gate. Oh, there's Disneyland, there it is. Yep, we can't go, but, but there it is. And while we're standing there, this lady, who was uh, who was working for Disneyland, she was one of the ticket people. She came up to us, and she said, "Hey, you guys, just what are you guys doing?" Today? I said, "Oh, we're we're just uh, we're just here. We just just like being near, <laughs> you know. I don't know what you say. I'm, I'm, I guess we're stalking Disneyland. I don't know, but but uh, yeah, we're just we just like being close, you know." And and she said, "Well, uh, so so what's your favorite Disney character?" And I kind of panicked I I think I said Goofy I don't know that he's my favorite character he's up there but I'm not sure but it was you know it was a lot of pressure at the moment and uh she said well Goofy he's going to be coming in a parade in in just like a half an hour I could get you in to see him we're like what do you mean you you can let us in she's like yeah I I can let you I'll I'll let you in you can can see Goofy you can go on rides you can do whatever I can't if you leave I can't get you back in but if you want in just come on in We're like, you're kidding. (laughs) She's like, no, just come on in. So we're like, you know, grown men, we're like crying Oh, this is amazing. We're going into Disneyland, it's free, it's incredible. We're calling our friends, guess what just happened? This is so great. We're calling the meeting that we're part of. We're gonna be late. We're on Space Mountain right now. It was so great. It was so amazing. Now, I don't know all that went into making that possible but I think it would include this word, favor. Favor of all the people, including nice Disneyland ticket lady. This seems to me like a no-brainer, but we miss this step. We forget that everything we do in life, it communicates something to our world. Everything we as a church does, all of it, it communicates something to the unchurched. And our question should always be, is what we are doing building a bridge to those who do not yet know Christ, or is it building a barrier? My life and, and my church should build a bridge. See, People are often more open to a healthy relationship with Christ when they have a healthy relationship with a Christ follower. So, what do our individual relationships look like inside and outside the church? What is the relationship like of our church to this town, the reputation The heart of this church is to be about walking in the favor of our community, all of our community, because we're called to bring light. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We're called to make room. Acts 2, verse 47, second part, says this. You can read it, big voice, go. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For this to happen, we must allow each of our lives to come equipped with an empty seat. That each of our lives would come pre-equipped with an empty seat, that there is always room for one more in my life. You know, Jesus described following him as walking a narrow road which we understand that when you're on a road, you have a a far better chance of meeting somebody new because you're on this journey, this narrow road. Yet too often, I think our walk with Jesus could better be described as a walk in a (laughs) cul-de-sac, a closed road where we know all of our neighbors and anyone who doesn't belong is met with suspicion. That too can find its way into church life. We can become cliquish, closed, sending the message. Actually, we're all full. Yet here in the early church, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. And they made room for more. In those first days of Christ's community on earth, as close as they were to each other, as much as they had walked through together, as much as they had shared genuine struggles and developed real and deep friendships, they still kept the door open to those who were being saved. They made room for more. What made the early church so extraordinary is that there was always room for those who were coming to God. Everybody. Messy people, broken people, perhaps some people that were hard to love, yet they refused to become a closed group. They refused to become us and them. So for us as Cove Church, it means this. That as a congregation, as a community, we are always thinking not just what makes things better for me, but what makes things better for someone else. It might even mean that I would forego some of what I want so I can better serve the needs of another. Huh. Kind of sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? who said the greatest love is the one who would lay down their life for their friends. It seems to me that at times in God's church, especially in America, we've lost sight of that. And that too must change. We are called to make room. I'll wrap up with this. In Matthew 7, Jesus says something extraordinary Away from me, you evildoers. If we ever wondered if relationship matters, this says it all, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, yeah, you did all this amazing stuff. You prophesied, you drove out demons, you did miracles. I mean, what could possibly be better than that, right? Answer, the problem here is you could do all that and we could still miss Jesus. It is possible... To use a name while never knowing the one who bears the name. Ministry for Jesus is no substitute for relationship with Jesus. The goal of all we do is relationship. And as we all know, relationship is messy. You know, I mentioned before when we started about moving, you know. And uh, the one other thing about moving is moving shows you who your friends are. Moving reveals who your relationships are. Because we've all got different types of friendships, different types of relationships. We've got our, our fun friends, right? And we got our work friends. And we got our gym friends. And we got our neighbor friends. But on the highest plane of friendship are the friends that help you move. That's the highest plane and it's seen most profoundly in the moment when you remove your washer and your dryer that's how they see that's how it's seen most profoundly because all of your friends then get to see what's underneath those appliances <laughs> when you pull that out it is always a mess And you'll see like lint, and and usually there's like a fly swatter there, maybe a math book, uh, you know, like a, a chinchilla carcass. I mean, you'll find stuff under the washer and dryer. It gets real when you remove the washer and the dryer. It's messy. And yet your best friends are there, right there, in the midst of that vulnerable and messy and ugly moment to help you move. We all understand That relationships are messy. And churches are all about relationships. So guess what? Churches are messy. Yet, the message is worth the mess. The gospel is worth the grief. Souls are worth the sacrifice. How we relate to each other must be our highest call, our first priority. It's not an afterthought. It's not a secondary mission. Relationships are the first priority and they must be healthy, which means we are called first to Christ and then to Christ's community, to relationships. And as broken and flawed as this community called the church can be, it still has this potential to bring God's hope to the world. That is God's ideal. So let's trust God to see that here. That happens when we allow Jesus to transform us, to make us healthy in hopes that somehow he could use us to help transform others. So today, you're invited to go deeper in relationship. First, in relationship with Jesus, and second, in relationship with people. Because the outflow of loving God should always lead us to loving other people. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw. We'll see you next time.